Hello, kiddies. So, you want access to the wicked archives, do you? Well, it takes money to keep the lights on and keep our beasties fed. Trust me, you don't want them hungry. They might just start eating the writers and then where would we be? Visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash wickedlibrary and pledge your support to the show. For $2 a month, I'll give you a key to our collection of classic episodes. For $5 a month, I'll let you hear the bonus stories before the rest of our listeners. Even more tantalizing rewards await for those who want to sacrifice more to us. <laughs> Over 70 classic episodes are lurking deep in the private area of the library, just waiting to be heard by you. Pledge yourself to the library today, and you'll be ours forever. You're going to like it here, I think. <laughs> <laughs> How much is it for people to enjoy the private area of the librarian, Dan? <laughs> Ninth Story Studios, giving story a voice. choices do you make in a day? In a year? In a lifetime? How many really matter in the end? Do you agonize over the small ones and avoid the important ones? Here on my lift, in this place where all things are possible, your choice matters. Your choices require sacrifice. Will you make the right one? Choose to listen to The Lift in iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, and now iHeartRadio. The Wicked Library is intended for mature audiences only. So if you're not mature, get out. Get out now while the getting's good. <laughs> Hello, kiddies. Have a seat and relax. I'm your librarian. There's nothing to be afraid of, yet. Hold on to yourselves, boils and ghouls. This is going to be a dark ride. We'll leave the lights on for now. No talking. It's story time at the Wicked Library. <laughs> Pop Pop's Gift by Tony Serechia. Me, Lil Jack, Petey, and Mark were hunkered down behind the giant cephalopod shaped stone. Those gruesome plants on the wall continued to pulsate with a pallid green light, unlike anything any of us had ever seen. Their roots, if that's what you could call them, clung to the walls in a thick, oily liquid coursed through them. And for all the horror we'd seen, it was the sound of meat sliding across the concrete that kept us frozen. We shouldn't have come down here, Lil Jack said. This is the way to Hades. From the smell that some demonic wind was blowing upward, I was starting to think Lil' Jack might be right. Why'd you go down there, Pop-Pop? Didn't your mom tell you not to? The hiss of the oxygen machine fills the silence. The old man looks at his grandson. Great-grandson, he reminds himself, and shakes his head. My mama didn't know that place was out there. Only mischievous boys up to adventuring who were foolish enough to go to the darkest part of the cemetery would find it. 
My mama would whip me good if she knew where I was. Are you sure your phone's recording all this? The boy looks at his phone. See those moving lines, Pop-Pop? That's us, talking. Boy, unless you hold that to the end of my nose, I ain't gonna see shit. Oops. Don't tell your mama I said that. She'll make me put a dollar in the jar. The boy laughs. You don't have a dollar, Pop-Pop. You're not wearing any pants. Just that hospital thing. Are you looking under my blankets? No. Okay, let me finish my story before your mother gets back with that ice cream. You make sure you save this recording. I've told a couple of people over the years, but they're either dead or didn't believe me, so I'm going to need you to keep the record straight. What record? Someday you're going to meet someone who's going to tell you something that sounds crazy. They saw a ghost or a dead relative, and you're going to think, this person's a few nuts over a pound. I want you to remember this story and give that person the benefit of thinking, at least for a little bit, that what they are saying is the truth. That record. Understand? Nikki nods. Mom told him that Pop-Pop may say some crazy things, but we should just agree with him unless he was about to do something dangerous. Lil' Jack suggested we should head back. Then Mark says, You bunch of girls, what are you afraid of? Plants? Of a smell? Shit, Jackie, your mama smells worse than this on a summer day. I don't know, Mark, I said. I think Lil' Jack's right. Ain't nothing down here for us but the smell of death and whatever's making that sliding noise. Did I say the noise was like something dragging a carcass on concrete? In my head, I could see some kind of beast leaving bits of itself in the gouges and rough edges of the ground. Pop-Pop, why didn't you just call your mom? The great-grandson asked. On what? We didn't even have a phone in our house until the 1950s. The only things we had in our pockets were a couple of pocket knives and a slingshot and a whole lot of lint. How old are you, Pop-Pop? The old man looks at the boy and smiles. Eighty-nine. Got a birthday coming up soon, I think. The boy returns the smile. Okay, now let me finish the story before I start forgetting it. The old man considers the boy again. There are a whole lot of calendar pages between them, and not a lot of common ground between their generations. But this story is their bond. If you want to leave and take Sissy Boy and the gin rummy with you, go ahead, Mark said. It took us half the afternoon to get down here. Probably be dark before we get outside the crypt. You want to be in the graveyard at night? We looked at each other. Mark had quite the self-satisfied grin on his face. Mark had turned his boy scout flashlight behind us and found a door cut into the stone with etching of eels with long, wavy tentacles. In one of the carvings, tentacles were wrapped around a man and crushing him in their embrace. Uh-uh, little Jack said. There is nothing good behind that door. Mark was already putting all his weight into pulling the door towards us. Come on, he grunted. It's starting to budge. I didn't want to help Mark, Nicky. To this day, I don't know what made me go to him and add my weight to his. The door did budge. And then it started to slide. A horrible grinding sound like teeth scraping across a headstone. At that same moment, a howl like the sounds of a thousand souls trapped in the noxious poison of hell rose up toward us. The howling stopped as quickly as it started, and I almost cried with joy at the silence. Then the chorus of the dam began again, only this time it was closer. 
We looked at each other and almost simultaneously squeezed ourselves into the small opening that Mark and I had coaxed from the door. A wind blew, carrying the fetter of overripe meat, and something I couldn't describe. Mark, Lil Jack, and Petey doubled over, clutching their stomachs and retching. I was the last through the door and saw something in the hallway. Just a glimpse, mind you. But that was enough. It was a twisted root with a half a dozen eyes running down the side of its body. It blinked at me. Despite my nausea, I stood, hunched over like an old man, and pulled the door closed before that abomination could move towards us. When my stomach quit trying to crawl up my throat, I got a good look at the room. Those macabre plants were in here, except these bulbs were the size of a baby's head, and green veins pumped some kind of viscous ichor. The beeping of the machine continues for a few moments, before Nicky looks up at his grandfather. Pop-pop? Nicky asks. His grandfather's eyes are closed. Pop-pop? Nicky says. His voice cracks. The old man wakes. Why the hell are you yelling at me, boy? I'm sorry, Gramps. This isn't Nicky's Pop-Pop. This is Gramps, the other side of Pop-Pop. His face is red, and angry lines crisscross under his skin like a spider's web. Gramps' eyes are bloodshot, and even from where Nicky sits, the old man's breath smells like onion and garlic. Where's your mother? Gramps snaps. Nikki sighs. She went to get ice cream. Why? Because you said you wanted some. And she'd listen to me? Yeah. The oxygen machine's hiss was the only sound in the room. After a few minutes pass, Nikki asks in a small, hopeful voice, So what happened then? When? The old man answers like a gunshot. Nicky shakes his head and turns off the voice recorder app. Never mind, Gramps. You rest. The nurse checking on Gramps' vitals woke Nicky. How's he doing? She asks. Nicky shrugs. The nurse adjusts the old man's pillow. Did I tell you about the hat we found? The ice cream cake slowly melts on the tray at the foot of Pop-Pop's bed, and the words, Happy Birthday, are barely legible. Nicky's head jerks backward from the microsleep he had fallen into. What are you talking about, Pop-Pop? Little Jack, Petey, Mark, and I had found this crypt in the center of Our Lady of Perpetual Sorrow Cemetery, and Mark had the bright idea to break in. You guys hopped a couple of fences to get back there, right? One of them had a lock that looked like a skull, you said. Pop-Pop looks confused. When did I tell you that? A little while ago. Is that cake for me? Yes, Mom bought it. Happy birthday. Not many more of those left for me, I think. Don't say that, Pop-Pop. You'll get through this. Pop-Pop's brown-spotted hand reaches up and touches Nikki's face. Where is your mother? Nikki looks at the floor. Outside. Smoking. Okay, then I better tell you this part before she gets back. I told you there was something at the door, right? Nikki nods. I could hear that abomination slide by the door. Every now and then it would stop and poke at the door. It knew where we were, but it couldn't figure out how to get us. Its movement sounded like stones rubbing against skin, and occasionally it would make a noise like a scalded cat. He's coming for you, Jackie. He wants to eat the biggest sissy in the room, Mark said. Then his eyes narrowed to slits. I have an idea. Let's toss Jackie out there. And while the beast is eating him, we can get away. Who agrees? Mark raised his hand, 
Petey seemed unsure, but eventually raised his hand. Mark looked at me. What's it gonna be, Steve-o? Little Jack backed away. He was about a foot from the wall and those plants started shaking. It was like the sound of a thousand rattlesnakes shaking at once. One of the larger plants struggled until it was a few inches off the wall. I swear to God, Nicky, it was reaching for Jackie. He didn't see it because he was too busy worrying if his friends were going to toss him to the demonic malignancy sniffing outside the door. Jackie, stop, I yelled. Now you're talking, Mark said. Jackie backpedaled faster and smashed into the wall. He landed on the plant that had pulled away, and a hissing sound filled the room as his weight crushed its head. The plant bust and green, thick mucilage engulfed Jackie's back and shoulders. Before he could pull away, a root from another plant snaked up and slammed into his wrist. He screamed, and the thing outside the room made that cat noise and threw itself against the door. The root moved under Jackie's skin like a snake under a blanket. Another root plunged into his opposite wrist and started worming its way up his arm, twisting and turning and, from the sound of it, crushing bones as it went. Oh, God, get it out of me, it's burning! His skin was turning black and smoke was rising from its surface. The plants glowed a brighter green as if they were using Jackie to power themselves. I was the first one to reach him. Petey was sitting on the floor crying, and Mark was watching but not moving. I grabbed the roots and I felt a shock run through my body. My stomach started to burn, and I let go. Jackie looked at me and mouthed the words, Help me! I took my pocket knife, and I cut into the roots just above his wrist. More puked smelling mucilage spilled out and onto Jackie. I looked back and yelled, Help me, you pirates! <laughs> I don't know what made me call them pirates. <laughs> I was gagging, but I kept cutting. Petey was on the other side, doing the same. More roots from the wall grabbed at us. Mark, damn it, help us! Mark moved into action and grabbed Jackie around the waist. With the three of us working together, we were able to pull Jackie free. Jackie's arm hung limply below his elbow, and he cradled it with his other arm. I just want to go home, guys, he cried, and sat in the middle of the room as far as possible from any wall. Not the way we came in, Mark said. That thing won't leave the door. I guess it doesn't know it's a pull door, I said. We looked at each other and started laughing. Hard, out of control laughing. Petey started coughing and then crying. We're all crying by the end. I got up to see if there was another way out of this room. The plants on the back wall shook as Mark and I approached, as if they were ready for fresh meat. Mark shined his light into an alcove we hadn't seen earlier. We exchanged glances. What's that? Mark asked. Someone had dropped a dark-colored fedora. Mark crinkled his nose and stepped carefully toward it. Wait, I said. What if it's a trap? What if the plant things are using the hat as bait? I asked. Mark looked doubtful and stepped into the room keeping the flashlight in an arm's length in front of him. He picked up the fedora. On the inside band, someone had written the word STRANGE in all capital letters. Strange indeed, I thought. This room had the same earthy smell as the rest of the crypt, but there was something else, like rotting fish. This place is evil, Mark. What were you thinking bringing us down here? You guys followed me like little baby ducks. Maybe that's a lesson for you to learn, Steve-o. Shh! You hear that? 
Mark shined the light in the direction of a squishing sound. It was like someone crushing a slug between their fingers. There was another room off the side of this one. The bulbous-headed monstrosities were still on the wall, but they were smaller here and brighter. This room was like a church, though none of the symbols etched in the wall were Christian. On top of the altar was a squid thing with its tentacles wrapped around the arms of a man wearing a raincoat. He looked at us, but his eyes were vacant. His mind was elsewhere. I opened my knife. What are you going to do, Steve-o? What do you think? I'm going to kill that squid and get that guy out of here. With that little blade, you're just going to piss it off and it's going to come after us. What do you suggest we do? Just watch it eat him? No. We came in here looking for a door. Look over there. A small door, no more than four feet tall with an arched top and about six feet between the sides was at the corner of the back wall. Even from our distance, I saw some type of black oil around the door jam. What would use a door like that? I whispered. Who cares? It's our way out. Or a way deeper into this pit. You take your chances here with the squid monster and whatever's banging at the door. I'm going through. What about little Jack and Petey? I don't care. Doodly squat about them. You're such a nurse sometimes. You worried about them? You take care of them. The guy on the table yelled. Mark took a step back, looked at me and said, I'm getting out of here. If you're smart, you will too. Up close, the back door looked like something out of a sewer. Brown sludge oozed around the door jam, and my stomach cramped from the smell. Mark was holding his nose and looking down. There wasn't a doorknob or hinges. It was just an oversized mouse hole. Whatever came through that door filled it like a snake through a hole. I had a sense of other worlds beyond that door. Worlds that would not be friendly to humans. Worlds whose inhabitants would eat humans. Mark screamed and fire seared my shoulder. Tiny suckers lined with sharp teeth adorned the squid's tentacles. One tentacle grabbed Mark and another bit down on my shoulder. My vision blurred. In my head, I saw the man on the table and Mark. Only, this Mark was hunched and had horns on his head. The man was wearing robes like those you see in Bible pictures. Mark charged the man. The explosion of light when they collided burned my brain. They were fighting as hard as any two roustabouts I'd ever seen. The man grabbed Mark, and Mark bit the man's ear. From inside his robes, the man pulled a dagger and started slashing at Mark. He cut Mark's cheek, and brown blood like the stuff we'd seen on the door started to flow out of him. I ran to Mark, but... And I promise you, Nicky, I'm as lucid as ever. An angel appeared in front of me, blocking my path. All I wanted to do was hold her. All I felt from her was love. In my mind, I heard her say, my friend and her favorite needed this lesson. She smiled, and all I could do was nod in the radiance of her presence. Wrenching sounds filled the room, but they didn't matter. That guy could have been gutting Mark like a fish, and I wouldn't have been able to tear myself from the angel's gaze. Then, before I could finish my blink, she was gone. Before I could process anything, I saw the man raise his dagger over his head and strike it into Mark's chest. I screamed and ran to Mark. My feet moved, but I didn't get any closer. The air sound started to change, and for a moment, I was in that place with the man in the crypt. I blinked and shook my head. I was on the dirt road outside the cemetery. I scrambled around and found Petey lying off in the woods. Stop shaking me, Stephen. His breath smelled like puke. 
What's wrong with you, I asked. How did we get here? You're drunk. Go bother someone else. I staggered across the road and found Lil' Jack doubled over near the creek. He had his right hand over his left wrist. I started to run. Jackie, Jackie, are you okay? I grabbed his hand, pulled it off his wrist, and saw the puncture wounds from where the leprous roots had jammed into him. I blinked, and the wounds were gone. Instead, a small frog, no larger than a quarter, croaked and hopped out of his hand. That was our breakfast, little Jack frowned. I had to laugh at the ridiculous idea of that tiny frog feeding the four of us. Where's Mark? I asked. Little Jack shrugged. I looked around, and little Jack went back to scouring the ground. I picked up a bottle near little Jack's foot. What is this? What's wrong with you, man? You have them shine deliriums? Leave me alone. I gotta find something for us to eat. I walked around the fence to the cemetery. I remembered someone, Petey or Mark, had shown up at the empty lot where we played with two bottles of their granddad's hooch. Someone suggested we go up to Cemetery Hill and have a party. After that, everything was a blur until we came out here. Jackie was talking about breakfast. We've been out here all night? All week? I didn't know. The sound of the oxygen machine fills the room. After the second hand on the wall clock makes two revolutions, Nicky spoke. Pop-pop? No response. Nicky jumped when Pop-pop spoke again. I found Mark hunched over the fence. His hair was white, his eyes red, and his dirty face tear-stained. We hugged. Pop-pop started coughing. A harsh, tearing sound that Nicky thought would rip his throat apart. Pop-pop, are you okay? The old man recoils. What? Who are you? What do you want? The beep-beep of the heart monitor rises to a staccato beat. Nicky stands next to his mother in the hallway by the nurse's station. The on-call doctor tells Nicky's mother, in a hushed voice, that Pop-Pop's behavior is common at this point in his illness. From the corner of his eye, Nicky sees a man wearing a raincoat and hat walking down the hall. While his mother continues talking with the doctor, Nicky watches the man looking at the room numbers, stopping in front of Gramps's. He removes his hat, a fedora, and pushes the door open. Nicky pulls away from his mother and walks to the room. Nicky slid into the room while the door closes and ducks into the bathroom. It's you, isn't it? His pop-pop asks. The man nods his head. The grandfather motions for Raincoat Man to come closer. From Nick's perspective, it looks like the two men will kiss. You haven't aged since I last saw you. Not on the outside, the man says. His voice sounds like gravel. Where have you been? I've been waiting years to see you again and hear your tales. What a life you must have. The raincoat man shook his head. My life cannot compare to your accomplishments. The grandfather scoffs. Who am I? An old man with a meaningless life that I barely remember. Raincoat man looks at the bathroom, and Nicky pulls himself behind the door. Has he been spotted? You have a family, people who love you and will share stories of you for generations. What you've accomplished is far more than I can ever hope to achieve. The one I... Slade. How is he? He became a Navy chaplain. Dedicated his life to doing the right thing. We all did our best after that day. The sounds of wings flapping fills the room. A light brighter than Nick has ever seen forces him to shield his eyes. Stephen, you remember my friend Gabriella? She will see you on the next part of your journey. I have so many questions. They will be answered. When the light fades, only Nicky's pop-pop remains. Nicky walks to the bed, 
and kicks something on the floor. A fedora. The word on the inside band is faded, but it is the same. Oh, it's not that easy to leave the Wicked Library. There's still an interview with the author. But first, this. Hey there. Do you like legends, myths, and whiskey? Or maybe just one of those things? Then you should listen to the Legends, Myths, and Whiskey podcast. For more information, head over to legendsmythsandwhiskey.com. You've tried washing it off, rubbing, scraping, scratching, and sanding it off. You've even tried grinding, cutting, and burning it off. But still it remains. It's zombie skin. So far into your own eyes, you wonder, are you still fully human? Or have you become the contamination? Whether you're struggling with cold sores, eczema, poison oak, poison ivy, acne, bee stings, bug bites, cuts, scrapes, scuffs, tears, chronic rash, or any of the endless ailments we all wish never happened, the antidote is the truly endless repair. Head over to zombielips.squarespace.com to buy the antidote. Become human again. Get yours today. Welcome to the post-show interview. I'm Jeanette Andromeda from the Ninth Story Podcast. And with me lurking in the library lobby is the author of today's story, Tony Serechia. Welcome to the Wicked Library, Tony. Thank you. Very glad to be here. So I believe this is the first time you are on Wicked Library. Is that correct? That is correct. Indeed. And how did you get involved with our podcast? So I met Dan... A couple years ago, he interviewed me on um, uh, the ninth story. So we did a we did a super long interview. It was like a three hour long interview, and I think he broke it up into two episodes. And then I met him actually in the real world at uh, World Horror. And then um, I think we hung out at a Dragon Con for a little bit a couple of years ago. So we were talking about it, and he asked me if I'd be interested in writing a story. And I was like, Wow, yeah, because because you know the Wicked Library, you've you've published some heavy hitters. So I'm uh, happy to be on board with that group. And before we get too far into the story, which is Pop Pop's Gifts that everybody heard about, um, there's something hinted at in your story that ties directly into your podcast, which is the Harry Strange radio drama. And can you tell us a little bit about your podcast and about Harry Strange in general? Sure. So... Um, Harry Strange Radio Drama is a, a supernatural thriller. Um, some people call it a very dark comedy. Uh, so it's it's a little bit of that, but it's it's really more a supernatural thriller. If you think it's if you think back to the old radio radio shows of the 50s and 60s, um, one of the one of our listeners called us a cross between Constantine and Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. So that's yeah, that's kind of what we are. It's a it's a, a serialized story. So each season is its own um, arc, although there is a link between all three seasons uh, that you'll find when you if you listen to all three seasons. Uh, so Harry is essentially a mortal who was granted immortality, uh, or immortal as close to immortality as possible um, by an angel back in the 20s or probably the uh, 30s, I believe it is. And then he's been pretty well fighting the unnatural order ever since. Um, he's not quite a black and white guy like a lot of our um, our supernatural private eyes are. Um, he has kind of his own little moral compass, is a little He's very morality is kind of relative to, to Harry, so he has a lot of friends on the other side of the line as well as the the good side, which um, infuriates some folks, and that comes up quite a bit. Um, but Harry, I mean, kind of looks. We look at themes of uh, the the recurring theme in Harry Strange is always free will, right? That humans always have a choice. Um, they're not they're not helpless in the face of. Okay, well, they're helpless in the face of, of elder gods, but they're not helpless in their decisions. They have a 
they can decide how to work through those issues, be it demonic or elder god, or just, you know, we have some even um, human evils that Howard has to fight as well. Awesome. I can't wait to dig into this one. (laughs) And uh, something I mentioned before we started recording, dear listeners, is that I now have Harry Strange, like all of it just queued up on my laptop so I can start listening to it while I do artwork this evening. So I'm really excited to hear more about it, especially after this episode being um, my introduction to this character. Correct. Right. So, so, um, right. So Harry makes a little cameo in there and, you know, so with the questions will come up inevitably from a fan is, you know, where does this fit into the canon of Harry Strange? Mm-hmm. It is a canon story, but it's up to you to decide where it fits in. <laughs> so it's not, it doesn't necessarily have to take place before an episode or, or you know, before this happens or after that happens. Um, it does, but it does fit in to canon. So it's an official story. So if you want to know all the Harry stories, you have to listen to this one too. Which, if everyone's curious and, and has itchy trigger fingers at this moment, they, those will be in the show notes, I promise. We'll make sure that you can go find the Harry Strange radio drama as soon as you're done listening sure. to this. So another thing, if I can just real quick, yeah, go just for it. give a shout out. Um, we have an incredible cast with Harry Strange. Um, Kellen Stennett, who plays Harry, um, is... I probably went through half a dozen or so auditions... Um, and then when I heard Kellen's, it was pretty much, there was no, there was no question who Harry was. Um, he just seemed to get the script without a lot of coaching. Um, Lilith, who's in, so Harry, Lilith, and, and Finney are kind of the three franchise characters who stay with us till the, through all three seasons. Um, Lilith, Parissa Johnson, is just incredible. You've seen her on... Um, Sleepy Hollow, Resurrection. She was in Allegiance, whichever one that was. Um, she was in the last one of that. Um, so she's just an incredible actress. Jason Tyler, who plays Finney, um, also directs a lot of the episodes, is just a, a little dynamo of power. So you guys, I mean, the, the cast that you're going to hear is incredible. And I would just want to remind, you know, just tell everyone, these guys basically worked for Donuts and Red Bull. That, that's the end of my... My tribute to the cast. I love it. So, when you were writing this story, um, Pop Pop's Gift, were you really thinking about how the different, like the voice acting, was going to work with this new story and new characters? I wasn't because this was a prose story for me. So, right, so it wasn't script style. It was written like a regular, a regular short story. So, because I was doing that, I mean, I heard the actors in my head, like, well, I heard the characters in my head, um, which I always do. Um, but I wasn't as concerned with when you, when you do radio drama, right, you write more for the ear. Um, and this one I wrote more as a story. So, you know, there's far more narrative in this than generally I write. It's really one thing that I enjoyed with how you played with the story was how slipping in and out of the past really felt kind of like what I imagine dementia would feel like in one mm-hmm. second you're here and now and it, and everything's very tangible and the next second there's this kind of nightmare world that is your past and um, can you talk a little bit about how you how you tapped into that and what really drew you to that format for this for this story well no actually I mean that's I'm, I'm thank you very much that's that's a, a very high compliment because that's what basically I was shooting for is that you know one moment where the our character um, is our main character is very is lucid um, and he knows where he is and he's he's a little grumpy about it but he knows where he is and then in the next moment he's living through the past as I would um, just on research that I've done about dementia patients uh, is kind of how they are right the past the past to him was was vivid. Um, and then when he's sitting there with his grandson and he's talking to his grandson, it's not, you know, he's there, but it's, it, it's almost more of an annoyance. It's almost like he wants to be back in that old world um, where everything, as horrifying as it is, was familiar. I'm not sure if that answered your question or not. I think it did, actually. It also touched okay, on something else I was curious about was how much prep and research goes into 
not I don't just want to hear about this story, like how much research went into this story, but into the Harry Strange universe in general. I'm I'm curious what kind of preparation you do for your stories. So probably, and I think a lot of writers are like this, probably far more than I need to. Um, and you know, I mean, the internet is just a giant time suck, right? So um, for one of the um, episodes, I wanted to look up a medieval way of, <laughs> it's just a good thing nobody looks at my browser, history. but I wanted to look up a medieval way of setting someone on fire, right? Because they didn't necessarily have this, just go with me. They didn't have the same chemicals, right, or the same tools that we do. Like if you want to set someone on fire today, it's it's a relatively easy thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, was it going to be that? Was it as easy back in the Roman times? Which, as I discovered, uh, it was. However, I could have just left it there. But then, I think I spent the next two hours reading about medieval torture. Um, so all of that eventually makes it into different parts of Harry Strange, even if it's just in passing, even if it's just, you know, a throwaway comment that one of the characters makes. Um, in season two in Harry, a big arc is the, um, is the is corruption within the Catholic Church. So I had to do a lot of, um, as a Catholic, um, you know, I, I was pulling a lot from when I was a kid and things that I learned. Um, but, you know, I still had to go and, and kind of research what is I've never been to Vatican City, right? So I had to kind of research that a little bit just so some of the things made sense. And again, you just get kind of caught up in the research. In Pop-Pop's, excuse me, in Pop-Pop's gift, I got a little probably a little more caught up in dementia mm-hmm. research than I, than I needed to. Um, but, you know, that I think kind of worked its way into the story, even if you're not aware of how it's working its way in the story. I mean, there's no case study cited cited in the story. I don't think that we even talk about treatment um, in the story. It just kind of is. But, you know, I had read all of those things, and hopefully that adds to the realism of it, right? Because at the end of the day, it's a fantasy story. It's, it's taking place, you know, in a fantastic world that doesn't exist. But you want, you know, you still want to have your basis in reality, right? People will accept the fantasy world if the reality world is real, I believe. I think it helps to have a concrete, realistic base, especially when you go into pulsating weird cr- things that right. try to eat right. people. And I, right, I, I really enjoyed the weird place you brought us to. And it was straight <laughs> off the bat, which I also appreciate. That's something I personally love in stories is when it just starts off with a punch to the face and then you go from there. Like, yeah, I mean, really, don't you hate, like, I just hate stories that meander mm-hmm. in the very beginning. Even if you have to do, like, a, you know, you have to do a teaser or something. It's just, I hate meandering. I want things to start um, right off the bat. And, like, with Harry Strange Episode 1, unfortunately, um, I meander. I thought, in the story, you know, in, in retrospect, it meanders a little bit, mm-hmm. but it kind of sets the tone for the universe. So I use that as my excuse as to why it didn't get right to the point. Um, But yeah, I like stories that just start out, boom, here we are. I really enjoyed it. And another question I have for you, since you have been writing multiple seasons in the same universe, how have you been approaching writing each season? Do you write each episode? Is it in a huge arc that you write? Or what what guides your writing for this? Okay, that's a good question. So the first season... I was pretty much just winging it, right? So I was making up rules that seemed like a great idea until season two when I was like, crap, now I have to follow those rules and it's really inconvenient. So um, season one, um, I guess I was probably about midway through when I realized I kind of need a story arc here. I mean, there needs to be a point, you know, there has to be a point that we're going to, right? Because even though it's a, it's a radio drama, I see each season as its own book. So it's own novel. So um, I went back and I found, you know, what we could use to be that, which is the stones in the very beginning, in the very first episode. Um, so that's kind of what became the arc. Season two was plotted out, not plot, not, I don't want to use plotted because it, it wasn't really plotted um, in like any kind of sense like that. But season two, I knew, I knew how it was, I knew how season two was going to end. Um, I didn't know necessarily how I was going to get there and I wanted the big evil in season two to be a human rather than 
rather than a big, like a monster of the week type of thing. Um, so we still had more of the monster of the week in season two, but it was also, you know, it all tied together with, with a human. And I, I'll tell you a humorous story that the actor who was playing the big evil in season two, um, you know, he, he did, we did the first three, three or four episodes or whatever, and then he came back to do episode seven and kind of episode seven was the big reveal. And don't hold me to those numbers. I could be off, but you know, that was the big reveal. And he was like, man, he said, I am so glad you had a plan. He said, because at first it just seemed like I was out there being evil for no reason. Um, and I didn't have the heart to tell him. Yeah. It wasn't until you know, a couple of weeks ago when I actually wrote that episode that I knew what the plan was. <laughs> so, so a lot of times you just, you know, you have to have faith in your process. Mm-hmm. Um, season three, which is probably um, our most cursed season because we're still not finished with it. Um, we keep having technical problems and personnel issues and all sorts of things. Season three was a little bit more mapped out and I wasn't sure I, I had two potential endings for season three. So um, I've actually recorded both endings, and I still haven't decided which ending we're going to use on the final episode. That's cool. <laughs> so that's that's almost like um, that's kind of amazing to go through whole seasons without fully plotting something out. But it, mm-hmm. I'm I'm excited to hear how that how that uh, plays out in in your stories. Um, I so hope it plays out well. <laughs> We'll find out (laughs) together. (laughs) You you included, it sounds like, which is really awesome. So this story, this was a short story. So this was, I don't remember how many, I think it was what, like 4,000 words. Mm -hmm. So this one, um, I am, and I'm not bragging. I'm just, it's just true. I'm just a fast writer. Um, But what happens is sometimes I write so fast that, I get lost of what the where I'm going. So mm-hmm. I kind of knew how this one was going to end on like this third draft. Um, up to that point, I I just kept revising the story and saying, "Oh, we should have somebody get eaten here. That would be interesting." <laughs> um, and eventually, you know, your final draft is when you the one where you go, "Okay, this guy got eaten, and it's really cool, but I need to have a reason why he got eaten. I can't just mm-hmm. have him." getting eaten for no apparent, you know, just because it's cool. Um, so generally the, the, I look at all my earlier drafts as kind of, you know, just, just me discovering the story. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're like, they're almost kind of like in-depth outlines, um, if you will. And that's just my process. So. I, I think it makes sense. And it kind of feels that way in this story in particular, because it feels certain moments of this were incredibly surprising like straight off the bat where are we we're disoriented a lot like your character too and then like what's next what's next and and it's it's surprising (laughs) right no i think that a good way to keep the reader surprised is for the writer to be surprised Mm -hmm. which is why i try not to plot too tightly nice so i'm working on a and that's all well and good for supernatural stuff but i'm working on a, a story that's ground in reality it's mystery mysteries don't work that way those you have to plot a little bit tighter than you do stuff when you can just say the ghost did it (laughs) so are you enjoying uh, exploring some other mediums as far as how your writing style is going I am um, I've written I actually have a pilot that has been invited I've been invited to pitch a TV pilot Um, and it does have some um, fantastic elements to it um, nothing like Harry Strange or, or the Wicked Library, but it still has kind of some, some you know, more sci-fi, I guess, to it. But a lot of that was, you know, almost plotted the same way. And of course, the beauty with a screenplay or with a TV pilot is you have a visual element as well, right, which we don't have in the radio drama, um, but we do have more in the prose story. So um, I like I like having visuals because sometimes it's better to show the visual than to walk somebody through it. It can be. And and it's interesting that you write for so many different styles of readership. So there's one way writing just in prose and how someone reads it and how they'll experience it that way versus the radio drama versus television. Um, which one do you find yourself drawn to the most? Screenplays. Screen, uh, for anything for, for a screen more than, more than other stuff. Mm-hmm. Prose for me is is very difficult. I almost 
you know, with a screenplay and the radio dramas, you know, by by extension, um, just seem to flow more natural to me. Um, I can see things. I can. Um, I was joking at a at a convention where I was on a panel for writers, and I was the only non-prose writer up there. Um, and I mean, I have prose stories out. I have four books out or four anthologies that I'm in, but it's not my first go-to medium. And I told them, I said, you know, when I write screenplay or I write a radio drama, I write sound effect. You know, the door opened.、Um, when I write the screenplay, you know, the door swings slowly open. When I write a prose story, I've got to be far more detailed in that door, right? So I've got to say, you know, the door creaks slowly open, and his heartbeat, and you know, this and this, you know, there, there's it has to flow more because you really have to paint the picture more so in prose stories than you do for screenplays or for、um, audio dramas, right? Because audio dramas, it's the sound effect. I just have to go find, or or the sound designer has to go find a creepy sounding door. Right door effect, or make their own.、Um, in pro, in screenplay, you can't get too carried away with your description because honestly, that story, that screenplay that you submit is not going to be the one that gets shot eventually, right? So, and you're going to have set directors, and you're going to have、um, costume designers, and you're going to have people that are going to know, hey, in this scene, this is the kind of door we should use.、Mm-hmm. In prose, man, it's all up to the writer, right? It's、yeah. all in the writer. To paint that picture for the for the、um, for the reader, so I'm drawn more to to screenplays.、Um, initially, Harry Strange was going to be a novel, but like I said, that takes far more discipline than I had at the time.、Um, so, and the barrier to filming、um, at that time was just too great.、Um, so, radio drama seemed like you know, radio drama had a far lower.、Um, Cost of entry, if you will.、Mm-hmm. Now with iPhones, everybody can make their own movies, right? So you just have to hire a really, a really good VX guy or you know special effects guy to make sure all that looks good.、Mm-hmm. So before you started writing for Harry Strange, what was your storytelling like? What were you writing before that? Um, I was writing. I I had written quite a few short stories,、um, some of which have been you know like I said have been published.、Um, Probably mostly short stories, but they always kind of had a cinematic feel to them,、um, where like the 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 story was was all around the dialogue, right? And you know the the paragraphs, if you will, were more like the action slugs in a screenplay, right? Billy grabs his gun, he shoots it at the door, blah 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 happens. You know, it was very、um, almost it was almost you know Dashiell Hammett style, very very short clipped. Um, I'm sorry, or, or Ernest Hemingway, even very sh- not that I'm Ernest Hemingway, but but his his style of writing was very short, short sentences, simple sentences, not a lot of adjectives. That was kind of how I was. My stories were,、um, but they always felt to me they always felt stilted. So I probably have about 40、um, short stories、um, sitting on a, or archived in a on a hard drive somewhere because I did convert them all over. So I do have them. At least you have them. Sometimes、yeah. you write things and then they're just like, "Where did I put that? I don't know.、Right. I guess it's gone forever. Goodbye." Well, <laughs> yeah, and actually, episode、um, two and three of Harry Strange, yeah, episodes two and three of Harry Strange in the first season are—I don't know if the excerpted is the right word—but they're they're kind of based off of one of my short stories. Cool. So that one, you know, is that one kind of got to see the light of day. So I'm happy with that. And then I think there was another episode further on down that was actually based off of a novel that I wrote that I that I condensed down to a 30 minute episode because I just thought the novel was so god awful when I finished it. But I like I like the general conceit of the novel, so I wrote. I wanted to keep that part. And I'll let you guess which ones those were. I'm really excited to find out. <laughs> What are some of your biggest influences for storytelling? Okay, well, anyone who doesn't say Stephen King in the fantasy world is lying. <laughs> so、um, we'll start with Stephen King.、Um, we'll talk、um, certainly H.P. Lovecraft, not necessarily style-wise, because、mm-hmm. um, I don't think he was a very good writer. But man, could he come up with some crazy stuff? Yeah.、Um, Edgar Allan Poe, and then let's make the jump to. Um, Russell Davies from television, Kurt Sutter from television,、um, uh, Stephen Moffat once in a great while. 
because um, he can tell a single episode story pretty well. Uh, who else? Let's see. Um, uh, let's go with that list. That, that should keep us busy. <laughs> that definitely works. <laughs> so since those were some of your influences, mm-hmm. for Pop Pop's gift specifically, what were some of the influences you were drawing on when you were writing this? I can, I can hear Lovecraft with the eyeball-coated tentacle thing, um, <laughs> but what else were you kind of vibing as you were writing this? Because really, what's, what's a fantasy story without an eyeball-coated tentacle thing, right? <laughs> Boring, um, that's what. <laughs> right, exactly. So, um, let's see. So, wow, that's a tough one. I, um, oh my goodness, I can't think of his name. Come on. Oh, Ray Bradbury. Yeah. Because of the, like, the sentimental, well, I, I don't, sentimental can be a bad word, but I think, you know, the kind of the nostalgia of the story, horrific as it was, right? There's the part where the, the, the kid is like, why didn't you just call your mom? guy's like dude i'm 93 years old (laughs) there were no cell phones there was no but i mean i think that you know that still kind of harkens back to a simpler time Mm -hmm. when 12 year old boys could be eaten by elder gods absolutely and because you could be isolated that way i think technology in a way has made us feel so much safer right but we're not are we i mean (laughs) we think we are right because oh my god i've got a cell phone i've got the sum of man's knowledge in my pocket Mm -hmm. um Right, except the first time you can't get service somewhere, you you know, you start people start to panic. Their heart beats hard. Oh my God! They hold their phone up like they're the Statue of Liberty with the the thing, the book she's holding, and it's like, see, no, you're not. You're actually worse off now because as soon as that blanket gets taken away from you, you're horrified. Maybe not like for your life, mm-hmm. but you're still horrified. You know, you're terrified. You're upset. You're angry. Oh no! How am I going to take a picture of my? Frappuccino to show my buddies what I mean. <laughs> How are you going to show them that your breakfast was a frog you had to catch for yourself? How <laughs> right? did you know if that frog's edible? You can't check with Google. That's right. <laughs> right, exactly. You can't do an image search. No. Nope. What parts of the frog are edible? <laughs> Guess we'll find out. <laughs> How much but moonshine see, is too know, much moonshine? It, <laughs> right. And it seemed like though, like because I mean I knew older guys who kind of lived in that and they would tell me stories about you know yeah I caught a squirrel and I skinned it and I it's like how did you know I mean as much as I you know pick on technology uh, damn it I want my I'm one of the people who panics if my if I can't get a cell signal or what do you mean you don't have Wi-Fi in here Jesus um, but these guys had an arcane knowledge that I don't think we have now we can research it and find it but if you're in a place where you have to eat a squirrel, there's probably not a cell tower nearby. So how are you going to do that, right? Where it just seemed like there was a certain, I don't know, pioneer spirit is so cheesy, but there was just a different spirit mm-hmm. back then that people knew new things that we don't. I think in a way, we used to feel a little bit more excited about that unknown, you mm-hmm. know? So to, to kind of see, and you see that in this story where even though it's this horrific event that's happening, the way he's telling it, he sounds excited about it. He sounds like this was this was something magical that happened in his life, and now he's stuck in this hospital bed. And then that right. last moment with the kid right. seeing this from the bathroom, he gets a glimpse into it too. Yep, yep, and then yeah, because everything everything gets confirmed, right? Um, when you you know we all did. It's, stupid things when we were younger, mm-hmm. right? And the fact that we survived a lot of them now makes for great stories. And that's no different than Pop-Pop, right? Is that he did a stupid, they did a stupid thing. They ended up with eyeball, tentacle-coated eyeballs, um, you know, after them. But he survived it, you know, with, with a little help. Um, but if I were to tell you that story, yeah, you're not going to believe that right. until you have that, that solidifying bit at the end where the kid goes oh crap this really did happen and there's that guy with that strange fedora <laughs> there's that fe- who wears a fedora anymore seriously <laughs> right really cool hipsters which we actually make fun of that a little like harry was definitely um when you the the, the, the radio show definitely made a we poked a lot of fun at a lot of the tropes in that genre, mm-hmm. uh, you know, of the horror genre, of the private eye genre, and you know, it's 
I think in one of the episodes, he tells somebody, he says, do you know how much I spend on raincoats every year? Because, <laughs> right? you know, when you're getting attacked by eyeballs, tentacles, and the sort, you lose a lot of raincoats. I can imagine. I bet he'd and lose fedoras. a lot of hats, too. That's <laughs> yes, right. And fedoras. He's always losing a fedora. So another question for you <laughs> is, do you find that when you are writing, do you find that the act of writing energizes or drains you? It depends on what I'm writing. I've written, there's been some very dark stuff in Harry Strange. Stuff that I thought was dark, not necessarily what the listeners are going to think is dark. Um, and that that kind of, that that's draining. Um, but generally, it's, it's an invigorating process. Um, especially that, and, and writers can relate to this, that at some point you stop really directing it and it just sort of starts happening to you. The, you hear the characters. The characters are talking to you and you hear all this dialogue in your head and you're just trying to type or, or write fast enough to keep up with it. And that, you know, then it becomes almost like a mystical experience. Wow, that sounded really cheesy. I love it. it. <laughs> I feel like it's a personal goal to get writers to talk about writing in a misty-eyed way. So, <laughs> win! <laughs> um, I'm very sad to cut this uh, here, but I think this is about all the time we'll have. So if everyone who's listening wants to hear more from Tony, you should go listen to the podcast. Harry Strange radio drama and hear more of his stories there. Um, where else can people find you, Tony? Um, so I am on the Twitter. I am on the Facebooks. I am on something else. Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, I always find it funny when I get notes from Pinterest because I didn't realize I was on that. <laughs> but apparently I am. So, um, But yeah, generally, let's see. I have a professional Facebook page that you can join. Um, I have a Twitter that occasionally... I generally keep my politics off of Twitter. Um, that may shift because I think I'm getting too many complaints on Facebook. Um, but yeah, I generally tweet um, a couple times a day. I'm not crazy. Um, I generally Facebook probably far more than I should. It's, that's another time suck that I need to um, find something better and to find a way to replace that. Um, spend more time writing and less time Facebooking. But either one of those is, is um, a way to reach me. Um, I generally follow back on Twitter unless you have the word guru, um, marketer, um, authors make, sell 5,000 books for $49. Money flows to the author, never away. Um, Or if you have a naked picture, I generally will not follow you. Sounds like all of my same checkpoints. Uh, You look like a real person. Are you naked? (laughs) (laughs) Have you tweeted in the last 24 hours? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Do you have a Russian website that you're directing me to? I'd stay away from those guys and gals. <laughs> and gals, you never know. There's, well, yeah, there's I mean, sketch you know, types of all genders out there. So. No, <laughs> See, I'm, I'm so cynical sometimes. I always just assume that it's a like a 60-year-old fat guy in Iowa posting those pictures of these beautiful girls up there, and <laughs> he's just doing a little side hustle. But hey, that's just me. You never know. <laughs> You never know. So everyone, do go check out more from Tony, and we will have all of these links in the show notes on thewickedlibrary.com. And uh, Tony, thank you so much for joining me today to talk about your stories and for sharing your story with us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. And again, if you'd like to check out more of Tony's work, including the Harry Strange radio drama, you can find links to all of that goodness in the show notes on thewickedlibrary.com. Now, if you all turn left, unless you're driving, in which case, make sure you just exit in an orderly fashion towards the elevator doors. The little girl in there will be your guide out. (laughs) Have a good one, my friends. Thank you for listening to today's episode of The Wicked Library. The Wicked Library is a Ninth Story Studios production, ninthstory.com. If you enjoy the show, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash wicked library. You can be a part of helping us keep the shows coming for as little as $2 a month. All supporters get Wicked Fun rewards like bookmarks, access to our archives, bonus stories, and more. The more generous you are, the more wicked the rewards are. 
Season 7 of the Wicked Library is sponsored in part by the Legends, Myths, and Whiskey podcast. You can find them over at legendsmythsandwhiskey.com and, of course, in iTunes or wherever you subscribe to podcasts. Also sponsored in part by Zombie Lips. They make the antidote for the human condition. Get the cure at zombielips.squarespace.com. Recently, the Wicked Library joined a group of podcasters dedicated to producing high-quality shows that are great listening experiences. They include genres from history to fiction to crime stories, but what binds them together is that they explore the darker side. It's a great way to cross genres and discover podcasts you might not have found otherwise. You can head over to darkmyths.org, browse podcasts, and try out samples and subscribe to the ones you like. Not only will you find the Wicked Library in the lift there, but you'll find other great shows. Again, that's darkmyths.org. All audio recorded in-house at Ninth Story Studios is recorded on Rode microphones. Find out more information about their great products over at Rode.com. That's R-O-D-E dot com. A big thanks to Rode for helping us make the show sound so good. Complete credits and show notes, including links and information from today's episode, can be found on the wickedlibrary.com. You can also find links to our Twitter, Facebook, and iTunes page. Until next time, go ahead, leave the lights on. We dare you. Society 13 Podcast Network. Redefining Podcasts. Society-13.com. I like to listen.